some of my best work. I'm music and culture journalist Jane Rocker. We invite artists and creators to nominate some of their best work, tell the story of how it came about and how it's influenced their career. In this episode, New Zealander Pip Brown, well known as Lady Hook, speaks to us from Auckland. She's chosen the song Magic from her 2008 self-titled album. first interviewed Pip when her career was getting off the ground and have watched it develop in the 10 plus years since. Magic is an early career choice and eventually was released as the fifth and final single by Modular Records. The song is about unrequited love, inspired to be a fantasy epic as much as it is a love song. It's a deeply personal story for Pip. someone that's actually interviewed you when you first started and seen your career develop. Tell me a little about why you chose Magic and the context around what was happening in your life around that time. Magic was, that was one of the the very last songs I wrote for my first record. In fact, it might have been the last song. Um, I think the two last songs I wrote were Morning Dreams and Magic. Like those two songs are are two particular songs for me that I'm really, really proud of because the way my whole first record came about was, it was just really, really intense for me. And, you know, I started off doing demos in Sydney and it just sort of spiraled, I guess. And I ended up in in London and I was doing all these writing sessions with people and, and felt like I was... I felt like I was over my head, <laughs> you know, I had imposter syndrome, like, why am I here? I shouldn't be here, I'm not, I suck, you know. <laughs> I went through, like, writing the record and discovering myself as a writer at the same time. By the time it came to writing Magic, I developed a relationship with Pascal Gabriel, who's, you know, the producer I worked with on most, on, on half of that record, then all of my second record, we became really good friends. Like I became good friends with his wife and, you know, I knew his son, like I would go to his house and have dinner. And, and so I was at a point where finally I was like, well, I know this person now, like we're friends and I've, as opposed to going in for these blind sessions where you don't know any, you know, you don't know who anyone is. They don't know who you are. You've got no history as as anything to them. They're just like you're just some girl from New Zealand who's turned up. I think that relationship developing and me sort of figuring out my confidence as a songwriter. That's the point where I wrote Magic. I was like, finally, I feel like like it was almost like there was some space that opened up, and I felt a bit like oh, I can I can breathe a bit. It's just me and Pascal, and we know each other, and you know we can have some fun with this, and and it, you know it just felt more comfortable. I was at a point where it, the whole process felt a lot more comfortable. Even on the lyrics of Magic, maybe if you can take us through that. So I'm imagining that given it's released in 08, was this all happening? Earlier in that year, or was it the year before that you were writing this? So 2007, I was um, writing the record, and uh, and I th- 
I, I'm pretty certain I wrote magic like right towards the end of the year, like right. It was almost too late, you know, <laughs> um, like it was really pushing it. And I already had enough tracks like there was, you know, there was enough tracks on the album. But I really I felt like there was more, you know, um, which I'm really glad I did because I pretty from memory. I think there were three songs, sorry, that were like the three last ones were Another Runaway, Morning Dreams and Magic. I remember reading something, a quote that you gave once about wanting to really pinpoint that sense of nostalgia you get from a song, but you've heard it for the first time, but it stirs nostalgia. And there's an element of that, particularly at the time of, of this release and this song and a lot of the songs around it. What sort of inspired you to want to hone in on that or, or really try and capture that? That's that's a thing I've always had with, with music and I still try to this day, you know, that's something that's quite important to me. And I think it's because I love that feeling when you hear a song from your childhood and it like, you know, a song that you loved when you were a kid, like especially like a little, you know, when you're a little kid, like I'm thinking like eight years old, nine years old, super like your brain's a sponge, you're just soaking everything up. For me, that was like listening to tons of different sorts of music. And then as an adult, you hear it and the feeling you get is like this wave of nostalgia. Like, you know, for me, I sort of get this like butterfly feeling in my stomach and I just like get all these memories and this like huge nostalgia and I always thought that would be a really cool feeling to capture in music like new music and if if you can make someone feel nostalgic but it's a new song I think that's a really cool achievement <laughs> um so yeah that's like with magic it was like let's let's go let's go hard with this 80s arpeggiator <laughs> you know like that's basically me and Pascal were, were having some fun with that. I love the song, but even the lyrics, they're like, the music suits the lyrics. What came first? Music, yeah. For me, it's always music. I always write the music first and then the lyrics and the melody. Well, usually the melody and then the lyrics. So like the melody, I I just like, so the once I've got the track, I then um, – get a mic and I, you know, I hum a melody over and I'll, I'll hum a bunch of different things or sometimes it'll come straight away. Um, and that's how I figure out the melody for the song. Um, and then I write the lyrics to the melody. Are you writing about yourself? Yeah. I mean, I guess I've never really talked about the meaning behind that song, but that's like, that's sort of about a new relationship and the sort of way you get like drawn into something and then like for me it was like all of a sudden I was living overseas so I'd started a new relationship but I I was living far away and you know having to figure out how to how to navigate that <laughs> and put it into song form <laughs> and I know you're probably not going to reel who it's about but I guess reflecting on it and now that you've talking about this work as some of your best is it that it also just showed a truly intimate moment of what was happening in your life as well I mean what makes it some of your best work is it also what you touch on lyrically and and feel confident enough to talk about it yeah I was going through a pretty crazy time like I went through a really awful breakup and a new relationship all kind of around the same time and it was uh like it's still hard for me to talk about to this day like it's not nice I don't like thinking about it you know it is what it is and it's sort of like spurred on an album and um 
made me very, you know, it was hard. Like I, I went through a really hard time writing that album. It was, um, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> it was a, it was like a mental roller coaster. And um, going through all that personal stuff, trying to write, write an album and also trying to navigate a music industry where I knew nothing about it. I was so naive um, and I didn't know, I didn't just didn't know anything. I was very much, I felt quite on my own, you know, because um, I was in London as well for the first time. Um, so it was, it was a, it was a pretty crazy time. And I think all of those factors contributed to, um, the record and especially magic. I feel like for me, magic was, I, I hadn't come, I hadn't, I'm not going to say I'd come out the other side, but I'd, it was definitely a little moment of calm for me. Like it felt like I was sort of finally starting to get used to living in London and I'd made some friends and I was feeling a little bit better about things, um, when I wrote that track. banner of some of my best work what do you take from this song and have taken with you from the day you wrote it to this day now that you're still writing yeah I don't know I don't think I I don't think I can ever recapture it because I don't think I'll ever be that person again I'm never going to be that sort of naive person on my first album doing a record for the very first time you know um go you know in my 20s going through personal craziness and you know I, I just honestly I don't think I can ever ever recreate it again and it's weird because I had a dream the other night that I it's really stuck with me for days um I had a dream that I went I traveled back in time to myself in London at a one of the massive shows that I I did one of the big sort of sold out shows I did in London in 2009 and I really wanted to to talk to myself and I remember I was like, I, I looked in the mirror and all of a sudden I was the way I was in 2009. I looked exactly the same, but I was me now. And I was trying to tell my bass player, it's, look, you're not going to understand this, but this is Pip from 2021. <laughs> and it's going to be different, okay? I'm going to be so much more confident because I used to really be riddled with anxiety and everything was just so hard. And I remember in the dream thinking, I wish I could just tell me back then it's okay, like, just give me a hug or something or just, you know, like it's really, it was a crazy dream. And I keep, I keep thinking about it and sort of what you, what we're talking about now is really, you know, on the nose. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. And, and how, as you say, a dream can be so vivid, but it also makes you sort of think, and you come across as quite a deep thinker too. I mean, it's not just a dream you forget about. You kind of think, what does it mean that it's come back? And you're a wiser version of yourself really, aren't you? Yeah, that's, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wiser. And I sort of have my, my sort of shit together a bit more and yeah. <laughs> Could I ask you too, I mean, in terms of the music and getting the song down and anything technical that you can add there about the making of, of this song that you consider some of your best work? The way me and Pascal wrote that song is the way I still write to this day. It's exactly the same. You know, it's a, it's a formula that I'm, sounds crazy calling it a formula because it isn't really, but it's just a, a way I love writing that works for me where where you, you mess around with sounds and music and beats and you, you, you do it till you have something you love. That's what I always do. And I always do the, the you know, the beat and the, you know the track first I, I just love that part and um and then doing the melody and lyrics 
last, you know? And then, um, yeah, I, I even think I did all, because all the guitar bits, I think I might have even done that after I'd put the vocals on. So I might have, we might have had the basic track with the with the drums and the, the arpeggiator synth and all the like, you know, little twinkly bits and stuff. And I think then I put the guitars down at the end because it felt sparse. But I, I definitely know that the the way I wrote Magic is is a blueprint for me for the way I write every song now that's... Maybe that that's also why that song's so important to me because I think it was a big realization for me in, in, in as far as songwriting goes. And then so after you've done that in London, so you're based there then for, from that point. Yep, yep. No, I was living there, yeah. And then, yeah, a, a little bit of a timeline of, of what happens there because I, I can't put words in your mouth, but just sort of explain after London wh- where you go. I lived in London like till end of 2009 and then um, – 2009 went back went to Aussie for you know a bunch of festivals and the arias and uh, went to New Zealand as well for some shows did did like big the big day out tour assuming I was I thought I was going to move to LA that was my my plan my big plan (laughs) yeah went through another breakup (laughs) as you do just to make things extra complicated and um yeah and then met my wife now so met her the night of the New Zealand Music Awards and then went on tour and was was doing music and then me and Mads were talking all the time and then, then all of a sudden she was on tour with me and then I was like, shit, I can't move to LA, can I? <laughs> Not right now. So I, yeah, relocated to New Zealand um, just for a year pretty much and then moved back to London with Madeline, did my anxiety record and then moved to LA in 2013, beginning of 2013. So then spent like, four and a half years there. I heard an interview you did with an announcer in New Zealand just in March, I think it wasn't that long ago. But it's interesting, and as you say, I mean, I guess now being, you're just over 40, you're still young, but quite different to being in your 20s, I guess. Just being more comfortable with who you are. I'm curious around the time of you writing Magic if you were comfortable with being queer or being out there. I don't know what was happening internally for you if you were in an okay place then. No, I definitely wasn't. <laughs> I was I was like, you know, I wasn't able to I felt like I couldn't be who who I wanted to be, you know? Like I was told to not tell anybody I was gay. You know, I was told not to bring my girlfriend to anything, but I <laughs> brought her to everything. Like everyone it was so obvious everyone knew but um the fact that I was sort of told to keep it a secret messed me up pretty bad like I was like well why do why do I have to keep this a secret you know why is this a secret because it's going to ruin my career like what it was really awful and it was just something that I think contributed to to me sort of like spiraling downward into a horrible depression and not knowing who I was and was it okay to be queer you know like a songwriter when people were telling me it wasn't you know it's just crazy how much has changed in that amount of time well it's interesting as you say I mean it was only 2007 that is not that long ago really it probably Mm. feels like a lifetime ago in the context of things and and the conversation around race and and identity now wow a lot has changed but so sad to hear that that wasn't the case for you how frustrating yeah no it was pretty yucky it was yeah still you know it's I'm in a good place now so I'm just I feel sad for me back then sometimes you know 
Coming back to your influences and the music or the role models or people that you looked up to growing up in your teens, is there anyone that you can sort of say you still really identify with now? Debbie Harry, um, Joan Jett was like a big one for me as well. I was a huge Bowie fan. Like I loved Bowie as a kid all through my, you know, adult years as well. Like still love Bowie. Bowie's like really up there for me as far as music goes. I was a massive Michael Jackson fan and I can't even listen to his music anymore, which fracking sucks. <laughs> a lot of uh, people I idolized as a teen like I still love the music but then the the sort of sheen wears off the older you get and the more you come to understand people <laughs> you know what I mean like I I feel like as an as an adult like the you know and as the years go on like for me I'm not gonna say I'm cynical I I'm definitely not cynical but I do get really disappointed you know the more musicians that I loved as a as a kid are like turn out to be awful people <laughs> I'm just like come on but yeah it's that's that that's the thing like you I, I like your your ears when you're a, a, a kid and a teen are like I, everything's new and you're hearing it for the first time and it's just so exciting and a lot of that's like I was a big Beatles fan I started listening to the Beatles when I was about probably about 12 years old because my mum had a ton of Beatles records we had a crappy old record player like we had a CD player and everything, but I didn't have the CDs. I had all my mum's old vinyl, so I would listen to it on vinyl, and um, and I would draw pictures of them, and I just yeah, it was yeah a lot, and a lot of that stuff I listened to so much back then I can't even listen to now, you know. I also wanted to ask you, you know, a little bit about becoming a mum and and how that's a maybe perhaps made you more confident or more at ease with who you are um and and a little about that experience and how it impacts what you do as a singer songwriter yeah I, it's definitely the been the biggest um most important thing to ever happen to me like you know and it, and the second i became billy jean's mum i I stopped the focus shifted from me entirely onto onto her so I I care about her so much I'm like you know I've got to think about her meals and you know she warm enough today she got a hat on like <laughs> has she got a temperature is her nose running oh my god you know I like <laughs> all that stuff and you you really stop obsessing over stupid stuff like I used to just just it's just really silly shit I used to obsess over and 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 it just ends you just stop doing that and I have this this amazing person that cracks me up every single day and and yeah that's hugely changed me eh like massively <laughs> I I don't even know how old Billie Jean is but has she shown any interest in music or a curiosity for what you do yeah, she's really curious. She's she's um so she'll be four in October. So she's three and a, just over three and a half now, and she's like obsessed with music. Who okay? So her her latest obsession, and I say latest, it's been going on about six months now. But she, I took all my records, all my vinyl out of the shelves so I could move my shelves into my studio. And while the records were sitting on the ground, she was playing next to them, and they sort of all toppled forwards. And they opened to my Kiss collection. <laughs> and I was sitting in my studio and she runs in holding out a Kiss record. And she was like, Mom, who's these scary guys? 
<laughs> and I was like, oh, this is a band called Kiss. She was like, can I see? And I was like, okay. So I played her some, uh, some Kiss videos on YouTube. And she was instantly obsessed. She was just like transfixed. And she was asking me questions like, who's that guy? And who's that guy? And I would say their names. And she was like, okay, so... So like I was like, that's Gene Simmons. She's like, scary guy. Okay. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. And <laughs> so Starman, you know, Catboy is all the names she calls them. And um, she like wants every, every you know, bedtime is, has to be a bedtime story about Starman saving the world or Starman doing something. like. <laughs> so yeah. She's going to definitely have those musical veins for sure. Yep. She's got it in her for sure. <laughs> Well, Pip, thank you. I really appreciate your time and sharing your story. And I know sometimes going into the past isn't always the most comfortable thing, but I think that makes for the most beautiful listening because people really sense you're deeply in that moment and sharing it. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. If you have a guest suggestion, email us, podcasts at mushroom.com. I'm your host, Jane Rocker. Get me on Twitter at jbirdrocker or on Instagram at janerocker underscore. Thanks for listening. Editing and production by Courtney Carthy at The Mushroom Group. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark D'Angelo from Backlot Studios. Artwork for the show, courtesy of Mushroom Creative House. Our executive producer is Matt Gadinsky. Legal assistance from Ben Strong and Kate Fury.